0: We hope you'll enjoy this episode of Women Worth Knowing. Make sure you rate us on your podcast app, subscribe, and share it with a friend. This is Cheryl Broderson in studio with Robin Gunn. Hello.
1: Robin, are you excited to hear part two? Yes, yes. And we may have some details, as you promised, about how Dolly is there. Well, why don't you give us the background of how we got well, that's to where Dolly that's right. is in this moment of Interestingly connecting enough, with yes. the girls. Dolly
0: is, from, uh, is Scottish, but she was born in New Zealand. And when she was still young, like three years old, her father moved to the States. He bought a ranch in San Gabriel, a sheep ranch, because that's what he did. He was yeah. really good with sheep. But her mother died, and then her father got ill. And then, you know, her sister's uh, were raising her and they did a great job. Um, and then when Dolly was 19 years old, her father died and Dolly lost her job and she broke her engagement. She didn't know, know what to do with her life. And she had a friend named Eleanor Brown, whose mother, P.D. Brown, urged Dolly to go to San Francisco um, to help the plight of young Chinese girls who were being rescued out of the slave trade. So Dolly traveled all that distance. Dolly had actually lived in Oakland at one point, so she wasn't totally unaware of San Francisco. But it was a long track uh, from living in LA all the way up to San Francisco, um, and she went by train. Which I know from LA to San Francisco today is about an eleven-hour train ride. I can't imagine how long it was in those days. It would have been a longer train That's a good ride. Question: Yes, with all those stops along sure. the way. Well, that was a great summary. Thank you. <laughs> so I, now we're ready yes. for part two. Part two. So we are also at this place where Dolly had worked in the mission house, and she had favor with everyone because Dolly was just uh, so likable. She was good at nursing. She was good at teaching. And she loved the little toddlers. But there was one young Chinese girl that she could not win over, try as she might. And this young girl, Tin Wu, she not only uh, – could not be won over by Dolly, but she was hostile to Dolly. You know, outright, openly hostile to Dolly and to Margaret uh, Culbertson. And even though uh, Teen Wu did not want out of the house, she was still hostile. But there was probably a reason for that because Teen Wu was only about five years old when her father told her he was taking her to see her grandmother. But instead, he took her to a boat and locked her in a closet. He... Sold teen Wu to pay off his gambling debts. Oh. So at only about five years old, she was um, taken across the ocean all the way to San Francisco, mm. where she was sold. Briefly, she worked in a brothel, um, not as a prostitute, but as uh, someone who would like empty the um, uh, the chamber pots. Mm. Uh, they gave her the worst, worst of the worst jobs. She was forced to um, carry heavy burdens all day long. From there, she was sold to a gambling den where the gambling den owner's wife would make her hold her baby, her toddler, all day long on her back. And when she acted up at all, um. She was burned, and sometimes what they would do is pour hot wax, hot candle wax on her yes. and burn her. Um, at other times, they would just beat her face. In fact, when she showed up at the rescue mission, her face was beaten and had bruise. Her whole body was full of bruises. She was only about eight years old when she finally came to the mission house. And what had happened is a neighbor had seen the poor girl. Um, day after day and recognized that you know this wasn't right she wasn't being treated as a child and so he reported it to the police so two police officers had aided margaret Culbertson in rescuing teen wu and when she arrived at the house she was scared and she was hostile you know she'd only seen the worst of white Gosh, men she didn't know white she women she's going to be expected of her now mm mm-hmm. And she didn't Mm. know who she could trust. Right now, one of Dolly's favorite things—I know this sounds strange—but was to listen intently to the story of all the young girls. She wanted to know their stories, even doesn't sound so strange. Yes, but even the brutality that they had experienced, Mm. in order Mm. to understand them and to love them, and to pray for them and to comfort them, many had come to the shelter sick, dying, bruised, bloody. Or with the burn marks like Tin Wu, one of the tortures that the tongues used uh, if a girl tried to escape was that they would take her and pull her fingernails off one by one.
1: Oh, I cannot even imagine.
0: Mm-hmm. And again, most of these young girls had been kidnapped from China or lured away by false promises of... Um, they were going to be married to a very wealthy man, or they were going to be able to work and have independency. So, um, Dolly heard of Teen Wu's story, but Teen Wu would not tell her own story to Dolly. At the same time, what no one realized was that Margaret Culbertson was very, very, very sick. She had been sick. Uh, for three years by this time. Mm. And what had happened is she had been kicked hard in the stomach by one of the young girls she had rescued. The girl was struggling because she was detoxifying from opiates. And Margaret didn't want anyone to blame the girl. She didn't want anyone to you know, say, oh, the rescue mission isn't safe. So she kept her pain and her in- injury and her discomfort to herself but it had caused internal bleeding. Now, Margaret was unaware of the internal bleed uh, from the time that the kick had happened, but she knew that from that time forward, her stamina was not what it used to be, and she was in constant pain. And so once Dolly came, Margaret leaned on Dolly um, as an indispensable help, mm. like her right-hand person besides um, um Yeah, the others. So Dolly, this um, this is a report of Dolly from that time. Dolly taught well, was skillful in administration, and was soon known to be boldly courageous on rescue missions. She learned how to nurse measles and whooping cough and syphilis. She became an astute student of the complexities of corrupt San Francisco politics and the clever tricks of the Tongs. She communicated charmingly, Clearly, to the home's American and Chinese visitors, she learned quickly, loved enthusiastically—I think that's my favorite part—and <laughs> lifted many burdens off the exhausted shoulders of Miss Colbertson. Her contagious cheerfulness infused the home with a new joy.
1: What a gift she was. Can you imagine? And just that stepping into it, not knowing what she was getting into and taking it on wholeheartedly.
0: But after one year, Dolly thought she was through. It had, oh, I can imagine. Yeah, that must it have been had been so draining. emotionally yes. grueling. yes. But Margaret begged her to stay mm-hmm. another year. But Dolly was like, you know, I don't know. She said, let me go visit my family down in Southern California mm. because I desperately need a reprieve. And so she went to Southern California, and when she was uh, with her sisters and her brother Alan, she found herself telling the story of these young girls, and something in her heart moved, and she knew that she couldn't leave those girls. And it seemed to her as if the rest of life was trivial compared to rescuing these young girls and teaching them about Jesus and living with them and helping them. So she went back and told Margaret that she would give it another year, and Margaret said, "All right, your pay will be twenty-five dollars a month, but from that pay, we're going to charge you room and board." Can you imagine? <laughs> so I, mean, you have twelve cents, just <laughs> spend it all. <laughs> yeah, you don't have much left. So Dolly served another year and was again in limbo about whether she would remain at the mission house. However, that same year, Margaret took ill. And she had to be taken by a stretcher to the train. Uh, she wanted to go to New York to seek a physician's help. But en route to New York, she died in Avon, New York, just a few miles from her destination. She was only 62 years old.
1: And what a journey. I wonder journey. why she didn't seek. Well, maybe it's still she,
0: early in San Francisco. Yeah. How many specialists are I there? I think, or? too, she didn't. She actually knew yeah. what had happened, and she yeah. didn't want any of the girls to be blamed I was wondering or the house to cute. come into ill repute. She was very, very protective of the girls mm-hmm. in every single way possible. She didn't, uh, she didn't even want a lot of people knowing their past or if they'd ever been violent or anything. So Dolly was asked to take Margaret's position, but she declined. She said she didn't feel like she had the training or the know-how, and Dolly at this time is only 27 years old. Um, So the position was given to a Mrs. Fields, who also, you know, volunteered and worked there. However, everyone at the home still looked to Dolly for leadership. So two years later, after Margaret's death, the Foreign Missions Board came to Dolly and asked her, please be the superintendent of the mission house.
1: And this is after Dolly said, I'll
0: come for one more year. Yes. Now, (laughs) we're two years later. Yes. So now she's been there four years, right? Mm -hmm. So Dolly again took a short break to visit her family at Prey. And again, the Lord put it on her heart, and Mm -hmm. she returned to the mission house, and she took over uh, the job of superintendent. Well, the Tongs, having heard that there was a new supervisor— decided that this was the time to strike, and they really wanted to intimidate Dolly, to scare her. So they invited, uh, they sent a fake note uh, to the mission, like, oh, there's a girl who needs rescuing. So Dolly boldly goes out to find this girl, and, you know, she's got a police officer with her. And when she comes to the house that the girl supposedly is at and opens the door, there's a a stuffed, you know, um, form of Dolly in the form of an effigy hanging with a threatening note. Like, this is what we're going to do to you if you keep saving girls. Whoa. And I'll tell you one thing. That made Dolly mad. Didn't scare her in the oh, least. She was yeah. like, oh, no, you don't don't. So she would even take the girls in and out of the house she felt that they needed a break where Margaret had kept them insulated Mm -hmm. and isolated Dolly had a different uh, take on it so every time she had to go to the market or to the store on a trip she always took two of the girls with her always Mm -hmm. even um, sometimes on her breaks when she would go on a break down to Southern California she was always accompanied by these girls because she felt that they needed it even if it was just going to the park uh, to feed the ducks or to ride a Cable car or to walk across the san francisco bridge she wanted them um kind of like her sister helen uh, to get an idea of god's presence every place whether it was in ducks or in the vastness of the ocean or mm. you know just the fun and exhilaration um and to get them used to life outside um the mission house she loved to uh, buy special treats for the girls and just uh, to make it a place of joy the work in the mission house was arduous and dolly was constantly on rescue missions or receiving some new member in the home she had to always be vigilant there were not only threats on her wards but threats against her own life as well dolly at this time began to keep a ledger And on the ledger, she put the names of all the girls who were saved. And the ledger included what they were saved from, their stories, as well as the injuries that they had suffered or came to the home with. Dolly would often use their stories when she spoke at churches in order to raise money for the mission and for the further education of the girls. So most of the money raised was either to support the mission, but if there was extra funds, Dolly put it in a fund for the education of the girls so that the girls who who showed the promise of education uh, could have a further education. And many of the girls were sent to boarding colleges where they were supported. Uh, Dolly was also a prolific letter writer. Uh, She would write to all of the girls that had left. Um, Many of the girls actually went back to China. And some of the girls, uh, one of the stories of the girls who had been rescued by Dolly, she returned to China. And her mother-in-law, she married, and her mother-in-law was very abusive to her. But because this young girl was such an example of Jesus— Her mother-in-law apologized to her and received the Lord, and her mother-in-law became one of the most outstanding Bible women or Bible teachers in China. Amazing. Mm -hmm. All sorts of stories like that. Do you have any numbers of how many girls went? Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's big, too. After nine years of service at the Mission House, Dolly was on her way to Scotland. Do you want me to tell you now or save it? tell me now okay there there's an estimation of uh two to three thousand girls and it's closer to three thousand that went through the mission house not all of them were saved and uh of some of those some of them went back to their profession or where they had been but the vast majority received the lord jesus and uh, went on to live prosperous lives that dolly also kept a ledger of that's incredible After nine years of service at the Mission House, Dolly was on her way to Scotland and then to China. So she was really um, excited to visit her sister, Isabella. And her grandparents were still alive, and they wanted to meet uh, Dolly. And Dolly needed this reprieve. And the Foreign Missions Board realized that Dolly needed these reprieves every once in a while because of how great uh, a work she was doing. Um, Just... A year earlier, Dolly had been to Southern California to visit her sisters, and there she had met uh, a young man named Charles Bazzotta. Now, Charles Bazzotta was the brother of Dolly's sisters, so this would be like Anna and um, the others, Helen, um, their pastor. So their pastor's brother, younger brother, was Charles Bazzotta, and Charles Bizzada Had a heart to serve the Lord, and he wanted to be a Presbyterian pastor. He was blonde, tall, muscular, and blue eyed. And they had um, met at church. And from the moment they had met, they had fallen in love, and they took every moment to be together, whether they were riding horses, singing, or sitting next to each other at church. And uh, after that, they corresponded, and they became engaged through correspondence, and they were so excited to spend their life together. Well, he had gone off to college in New York, so it was arranged that before Dolly left for Scotland, for her trip to Scotland, um, she was actually going to go to Scotland, and then she was on her way to China to visit some of the girls, but before she left, she would meet Charles Bizzada on the East Coast. They were so in love. And Charles had finished his education and he had started a ministry on the East Coast, taken a pastorate there. Um, and so when they met and they were talking, he told her that he did not feel that he could leave the ministry or the care of his mother. It's, I think, important to realize that this time Dolly's in her 30s. You know, mm-hmm. this is past the time. She's past her prime. Um, and they're in love. But he's saying, you know, Dolly, I need you to leave your work and come work with me here on the East Coast as, you know, my wife. And she said, no, I I can't. I'm not ready to leave the mission work yet. And then Dolly was also thinking of her three sisters who are getting older at this time. I mean, they were only in probably their 50s. But she's thinking, who's going to support my sisters? If I come to the East Coast, who's going to watch over them? So they prayed about it. And they decided that although they were deeply and desperately in love, it was not the Lord's will for them to be together, that God had something different for each of them. So they parted as friends in order to follow the call of God on their lives.
1: I think unusual. You just don't hear stories nope. going that way. No, nope. And nope. the clarity they must have both had to have had to know that, that this is what the Lord was calling them to.
0: That's right. That's right. So Donna Ladina had a wonderful time in Scotland, and she met her grandparents, and she had an Aunt Annie um, who had a big, big house and just absolutely loved um, Dolly. She also met her sister Isabella, and they became fast, fast friends. Um, She went on from there to China. And let me
1: just add this point that for this is part two, so in part one, we learned that Isabella had to stay behind in Scotland when the whole family that's right. ended up that's right. going to New, New Zealand, Zealand. That's right. for the first sheep ranch right. venture. And that's
0: where Dolly was yes. born. And Dolly had that's never, explains why they'd never met, met or seen Isabella before in her life. And Amazing. they hit it off. I think Isabella had been younger. It never says, but I've got a feeling that's why they couldn't take her because she was too young. And so I don't think that she and, um, Isab- uh, she and Dolly were necessarily that far in age maybe Mm. like 10 years or something but they really really became close then she went on to China by boat but what's interesting about that is she knew the captain of the boat and when they were passing India uh, they had to pass India but they went by way of Israel and he pointed out Mount Sinai to her and that was just what a a thrill thrill for her on the boat wow so she went to China, and she had appointments to meet up with many of the girls that had married and become mothers. Interestingly enough, as she's been introduced to these babies, many of them were named Donald Adina or Margaret. <laughs> <laughs> so to meet these adorable Chinese babies, and you go, know, oh, what's your name? Donald Adina, you know, or Margaret. She also met a cousin, Patrick Cameron, who was a banker in China, and another relative, Sir Yuan Cameron, who had been knighted by the King of England and was the first Caucasian to be given the official title of Mandarin by the imperial government of China. Amazing. And so it's interesting wow. to think that she had family members um, that were also called to minister yes. to the Chinese without realizing it. Now, here's an interesting fact about her relative, her cousin, Sir Ewan Cameron. He was the great, 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 great grandfather of the Prime Minister, David Cameron. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? <laughs> so he was related to Dolly. Yes, yes. amazing. So um, Dolly returns to um, San Francisco and uh, by boat, and she's actually thrilled when she sees the Golden Gate. She feels like she's back home. And she's ready again to minister. I think part of that must have been seeing the fruit of all those Chinese girls that were doing so well, walking with Jesus and, you know, the Bible woman and hearing the story of how the gospel was going throughout China. So she comes back. And again, she's got her ledger. The rescue continues. So one of the many stories of rescue, because she kept that ledger, involved a man that Dolly called Old Sam. He had been a brothel owner. Dolly spied a young Chinese girl in a hotel lobby dressed in flimsy clothes. And immediately she knew, like, look, it's winter. That girl's clothes are too Mm -hmm. flimsy to Mm -hmm. be anything other than a prostitute. So she went to the police station. She got an officer to help her in saving this girl. And she went back to the hotel. Well, while there, old Sam pulled a gun on Dolly. And Dolly just waved the gun away and rushed past him to the girl (laughs) Uh, to save her. And in the meantime, the police officer took down old Sam and put him in handcuffs, you know, and carted him off to jail. But old Sam, while in jail, was so impressed with Dolly's bravery and desire uh, to save the Chinese. Like, he's like, she actually loves Chinese people. He is a woman on right. a mission. <laughs> and the I got in the way, the gun got in the way, she's not right. going to be stopped. Right. And so he was going to be, he was exported back to China. But before he was exported, he uh, got in touch with Dolly and he asked if he might visit Dolly at the mission house and have tea with her. And Dolly accepted it so she could tell him about why she did that. So Dolly's right hand helper was a Chinese girl named Yun Kwai. Yun was devoted to Dolly. Um, Interestingly enough, Teen Wu loved Yoon just loved her she was the only person that Teen Wu remember Teen Wu was the rebellious Mm -hmm. girl who was hostile this is the only person that Teen Wu trusted in that whole mission house she trusts only Yoon uh, Kwai and she's not sure you know that the white women really love them and she's suspicious and of course she is because of all she's been through Mm -hmm. but in 1900 Yoon had taken ill and died unexpectedly. Dolly was diswrought. She had loved Yoon Kwai so much mm. that seeing Yoon's body, um, and she was sick, but they didn't know that, you know, she was deathly sick. Dolly threw herself across the body of Yoon and was uh, raked with sobs. She oh. just was, just couldn't stop sobbing. And as she was sobbing, all of a sudden she felt someone hugging her and crying with her. And she turned, and it was Teen Wu. (laughs) And from that moment forward, Teen Wu realized that Dolly truly loved the girls and the Chinese and did not hold their past against them. And she became Dolly's closest friend and ally in the work.
1: That's beautiful.
0: By this time, the Mission House and Dolly were gaining notoriety. Dolly was always entertaining visitors apart from rescuing girls and apart from all the litigation in court. She was also entertaining visitors, explaining the mission. She loved to show people around, explain the work, and encourage those who visited to give. One day, she received a letter saying that President Teddy Roosevelt was in town. By this time, it's 1901. And once... To to visit the house. And so Teddy Roosevelt was one of those that she entertained and showed the work that they were doing at the Mission House. (laughs) In 1906, so we're going to skip tons and tons of stories because we don't have time, but in 1906, Dolly was in bed when around 5 a.m., she was thrown out of bed by a violent earthquake. She watched as things flew off the shelves. And she went right away to check on the girls and the house seemed stable and the girls were all fine. But she realized that the chimney was lopsided. Mm. And if the chimney was lopsided, that meant that the whole building was unstable. Pretty soon the police came And they told the women they'd have to evacuate the house, and at the same time fires had started, and everyone was very concerned. Was this 1906? This is 1906. This is the big San Francisco earthquake. Wasn't just a tremor that. But afterwards, the tremors were huge too. Sure. So Dolly Hmm. ushered the girls to the Presbyterian church where they waited. But while there, Dolly remembered that the papers for the girls that showed their legitimacy Hmm. uh, that gave her. the ability to supervise and have oversight of them, were still at the house. Without those papers, she could lose custody of the girls in oh, court, yeah. especially with so many crooked judges. So Dolly decided to make her way back to the mission house. Now, there are fires all over. They're yes. dynamiting houses because they're so dangerous yes. and There's explosions going off to her right and her left, but Dolly's going to make it to the mission house. She gets to the mission house, and this police officer says, you can't go in there. And she said, I must. I will go in there. And he said, stop or I'll shoot. And he pulled a gun on Dolly. Dolly said, shoot me if you will, but you're not going to stop me. Uh She went into the house, grabbed the papers, and left and made her way back to the mission house with all the papers and her ledger with the story of all the girls. To her, that was the most important thing in that uh, mission house. Talk about a single-minded, focused, it was determined mm-hmm. woman. Eek. It was so sad because the house, you know, 920 Sacramento Street had to be dynamited because, again, it was unstable. And that was the way that they were dealing with these houses, the next morning, the church was no longer safe. It was surrounded on three sides by fire. So the Foreign Missions Board arranged for the girls to stay in a barn north of the city in um, Marin County. The girls had to walk to the ferry, and then um, from the ferry walk to the barn. They he, there were over a hundred of them, and they wrapped all their belongings in sheets because they were kind of heavy. You know, they grabbed what they could, but. They were so enterprising. They wrapped them in sheets um, and put them on long poles, and they each held a side of the pole so they could carry it between them. The board members then found them a big home in San Rafael that was large enough to house all of them. Gail Borden of Borden Dairies arrived with clothing, bolts of fabric, fresh new warm belt, uh, bedding, a new sewing machine. He also brought a tent, desks and books so the girls could resume their schooling in san rafael though the girls were constantly on guard because the tongs had followed them there so you know this is you know a dangerous time uh in between and it's going to be two years that they live like this uh, uh, they moved then to a house on 11th street in oakland until the mission house was rebuilt but it took two years to rebuild uh, the Mission House, and the girls were in constant danger then. I mean, there was vigilance. But don't you just love Gail Borden of Borden Dairies?
1: Yes. So the San Rafael was in a rural area at that time?
0: Probably. Across yeah. the ferry, you know? Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's such a beautiful area right now. You know, it's got all those uh, ocean view, just bay have view to homes. picture how it was 100 years ago. And yeah. But there was a large house there. And
1: yes. And that they, they were able they to
0: stay in. And started over. Mm-hmm. And then they moved to Oakland. There's more about the... Um, the place in Oakland that I'd uh, want to talk about when we come back, because we're going to have to come back for part three, because yes, it's still very exciting. Uh, we, we, we're we going to get to some um, stories of, of some of the girls that she saved in the next episode. So I really want all of you to come back next week. And again, yes, if you, yes, yes. you know, don't just listen to part two or part three, listen to part one, listen to part two, and then you'll be ready for part three. Three. Yes. Or absolutely. maybe even refresh
1: yourself. Right. And there's just that consistency that we yep. have experienced as we've researched them that we want you to have that same sense. That's of right. The, the timeline. That's so, right.
0: Okay. Until for next week. Us.
1: Yes, yes. We'll, we'll. We keep
0: saying we can't say we'll see you because we right. won't see you. That's right. But we will talk to you. Visit <laughs> with you. <laughs> that's right. Visit. I like that. Next week. Until then, this is Cheryl Broderson and Robin Gunn saying, 拜拜 Thank you for listening to Women Worth Knowing with Cheryl Broderson and Robin Jones-Gunn. For more information on Cheryl, visit CherylBroderson.com or follow her on Instagram or Facebook. You can also follow Robin on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. If you think there is a woman worth knowing, we'd love to hear from you. Email us at WWK at We hope you've enjoyed today's episode. Make sure you've subscribed and don't forget to rate us on your podcast app and share it with friends. Thank you again and for listening to Women Worth Knowing with Cheryl Broderson and Robin Jones Gunn.